Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 93. Thanks so much for all the feedback on the Road to Hoylake series that we just wrapped up. Really cool to connect with all of these young amateurs. Some of the guys we spoke with didn't make the squad, but a lot of them did. All of them incredibly worthy, but only 10 spots were available. Congrats to John Augustine, the U.S. Am runner-up, and Andy Ogletree, the U.S. Amateur champion, for securing the final two spots on the team. The U.S. squad looks very strong as they head over to Hoylake. In the upcoming weeks, we'll get back to our weekly conversations with mid-amateurs, collegiate players and coaches, and perhaps a few tour pros here and there. But before we do that, we have a couple special episodes to lead us right up to the Walker Cup on September 7th and 8th. Before we get started, don't forget, follow the podcast on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're also on YouTube. All that information is available in the show notes of this episode And if you're looking to pick up some of our merch, we have towels, trucker hats, alignment sticks, tees, you name it, we have it. All of it is available at thebackoftherange.com. And don't forget, if you didn't catch the Road to Hoylake series or if you missed a previous episode, they're all available in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The mojo is clearly working. Congrats to a couple previous guests for getting through stage one of LPGA Tour Q School Haley Moore, the national champion from Arizona, got through, as well as Marissa Masana. She played collegiate golf at Clemson. One of our early guests, her and her caddy Gavin, got through. I know Gavin is rocking the Back of the Range Golf podcast towel. Plenty of mojo left in that thing, so keep it rolling. Also, congrats to Victor Hovland. Not a big surprise, but he will join Matthew Wolf. He'll join Chris Ventura on the PGA Tour next season. A lot of Cowboys out there. It'll be very interesting to see what they do next season. So this week's guest is probably the perfect guest to have after we completed the Road to Hoy Lake series. As I said, during this series, I'm talking to a lot of these collegiate and junior players, and they're chasing that dream of maybe one day, just once, representing the United States in the Walker Cup. Our guest this week Well, he did it more times than anyone in the history of the United States Walker Cup team. Jay Sigal played on nine Walker Cup teams between 1977 and 1993. He never missed one team in 16 years. Jay has more victories, more points, and more matches played than anyone. He was an All-American at Wake Forest. He won back-to-back U.S. Ams and is the only man to win the U.S. Amateur and the U.S. Mid-Amateur in the same year. Our conversation, though, revolved around the Walker Cup because, truthfully, that's what he wanted to talk about. He's a team guy, and the U.S. Walker Cup has been a big part of his life and amateur career. Oh, and by the way, the last playing captain, it's Jay Sigel. 1983 at Hoylake and 1985 at Pine Valley. So it's a thrill and an honor to welcome Jay Sigel to the back of the range. Jay, how are you, sir? I'm fine, Ben, and thank you for uh, thinking to have me uh, say a few words. Yeah, thanks. Well, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we just wrapped up recently our, our Road to Hoy Lake series uh, on the, at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. We highlighted a lot of the uh, hopefuls that were trying to make the 2019 U.S. Walker Cup team. And, you know, through our research and through my just, you know, fascination with the history of the Walker Cup, when you when you look at the records, um, your name pops up a, a whole hell of a lot, which I'm sure you're very well aware of. And we'll we'll talk a lot about Walker Cup later, uh, about, you know, a lot of your victories and a lot of the times you competed for the United States. But we always like to get into a little bit of the history of how someone gets into the game, where they get their start. I'm wondering if you can share just a just briefly your start in the game and and as I said your your experience at Wake Forest. Sure, Ben. I I uh, started playing when I was uh, I guess ten and a half, uh, but that that didn't come first. I was caddying, and I tell people I was carrying three bags on my right shoulder. You know, back then, you know, 
this was still the 1900s, not the 1800s. <laughs> okay, okay. But, but uh, three bags, uh, the bags back then were uh, circular, uh, oftentimes cloth, and they weren't too heavy, but three bags was a lot. So I was counting for three people. And my dad was one of them. He said, you know, would you would you like to try this game? I said, yeah, it'd be a lot better than caddying for you you guys. Of course. And uh, that, that's how it started, and it was... It was funny. Uh, one of the guys, uh, I would always notice what kind of golf ball they were using. You know, it was a pinnacle or it was this, but it was brand new. So oftentimes when we'd hit, he'd hit it in the weeds, we could never find it. And that was, uh, that's how I got started. Then I played a fair amount of uh, high school golf, Pennsylvania, interscholastic champion. I went to Wake Forest and uh, had a, a very uh, interesting college career and um so so pleased that i graduated i'm so proud of being a graduate of wake forest and proud to say that my daughters also graduated from there and um met my wife while i was there and it, it, wonderful experience yeah you you mentioned wake forest uh I mean, when people think of Wake, they obviously think of Arnold Palmer. And you played there uh, between, uh, I believe it was like 64 and 67. Mm -hmm. And that is just about, I'd say, maybe 10 years after Arnold Palmer was there. So right. I guess maybe can you speak to, was there any sort of relationship? You know, he's because oh, sure. he's, a, he's a Pennsylvania guy and so are you. Yep. Yeah. So you're born in Bryn Mawr and then you know, Palmer is Latrobe. So you got that Pennsylvania to North Carolina connection. So maybe, you know, was there a relationship there? Yes. It, interestingly, his father-in-law and my father were best friends and they were wake, uh, they were uh, Penn state uh, students sure. and same, same fraternity. And uh, so as, as time went on, as I became a little better junior golfer, uh, my dad called Arnold to see if, um, I, who who I would get a lesson from my first official lesson at 16. And he said, well, of course my father. So we traveled to, to Latrobe. Uh, I got a lesson from Deacon, his father, which was very interesting. Wow. And, and, um, found, found out that he went to Wake Forest and I was interested in that. So the, the closure on that story was I, <clears throat> I was at, at uh, the Crosby tournament as a winner of the international JC tournament. That was the, that was the prize and, um, was interested. My parents were there. I was 17. And I said to, uh, Arnold, Mr. Mr. Uh, Palmer, could you, uh, spend some time with me a few minutes, uh, this week and we were at a, at a cocktail party with the likes of Crosby and hope. And, uh, he said, sure. How about right now? I said, sure. Happy to. So we went over and sat down in a comfortable chair and we, we talked for at least a half hour while all of the famous celebrities were around, but he took his time with me. That tells you a lot about Arnold. Yeah. Uh, that progressed to uh, my receiving the first Arnold Palmer scholarship was, which was a thrill to say the least. And Arnold had some say in that, which was nice. So you sit with him at the Crosby, which is now the, you know, the AT&T, um, right. you know, the Pebble Beach uh, Pro-Am. So you're sitting there at Pebble Beach talking to Arnold Palmer. What was the conversation? Was it about like what you should do with your amateur career or should you go to, you know, Wake Forest or, or was it golf advice? That's a good question, Ben. He, Arnold wasn't a good student like I wasn't. He said, you really have to see it okay. to, to uh, see what it's all about. I mean, the women are, are attractive. The campus is beautiful, um, but you got to go to class and, um, you need to see it for yourself. So a funny one, I, I, uh, arranged that through the coach, Jesse Haddock. So I arrived and <laughs> this is so funny. Uh, Perfect. The, students, the students on the campus would say, how you doing? Hi, how are you? I wasn't familiar with that from a town like Philadelphia. Uh, nobody spoke unless you thought you were going to get robbed. Okay. So I said to coach Haddock after all these people are saying, hello, how are you? Uh, I said, Jesse Haddock, how did all these people know I was coming today? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that was not the case. They didn't know. That's just how friendly 
the atmosphere was on the campus at Wake Forest. That's great. That's a funny story. So, so you have this great career at, at Wake Forest, and I guess for for people that know a little bit about your story, but you know they'll think, okay, well, you're you're all American at Wake Forest. Obviously, you're going to turn pro, and you know why? You know why doesn't Jay Sigel have have PGA Tour victories? You have Champions Tour victories, but why doesn't he have PGA Tour victories? It comes back to probably one of the Gosh, as far as like taking a fork in the road, this is probably one of the most, uh, you know, important moments of your life. And it happens with a freak accident. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that changes the course of your life just randomly. Yeah. 1963 summer school coach was waiting for me. Uh, I had to go make a phone call. My hand went through, uh, through a window pane in the dormitory door. We weren't fooling around. Um, and cut the nerve and tendons slipped a cut, cut some padding off my hand and had to go back and get it afterward. But, uh, I guess it was 10 days in the hospital and some question whether I'd play again. So that was a huge, huge occurrence in my life. And as I have said numerous times, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, and you probably would ask, how is that? And that is because um, I met the woman that I married, and she she hit me with a few things. I was not a good student, as I said, and I was way behind. She said, listen, if we get married and we have children, how are you going to explain to them that you didn't finish what you started? Oh, that was pretty powerful. That, so, that'll, that'll knock you on your butt pretty quick, won't yes, it? Yes, won't it? Won't it? So, uh, that was the impetus to get myself in gear. Of course, I, I didn't play for uh, 11 months or something like that. And and, uh, and when I did play after that, it was very painful. But uh, I had to suck it up and, and get it done. I finally graduated uh, in 67, which was, which was a real thrill and uh, a lot of fun. So, yeah, that was clearly a blessing in disguise. I didn't know it at the time. Folks told me that, that uh, I would be... You know, I would know that know that things happen for a reason. But how how uh, would a kid who's just in college, uh, just 20 years old, uh, know that this was going to be a blessing? But actually, I had that's, I didn't have anything else. I had to believe that. And sure enough, that's what happened. And uh, I mean, I I wouldn't have graduated. I wouldn't have met my wife. I would have turned pro. Might have failed. When you start off in life. You don't want to start off failing. I could have set the stage for the rest of my life, which uh, might not have been as as wonderful as it's been. Well, and the other thing, too, when people look at the way professional golf is now, there's so many avenues that you can go to try and make it. There's developmental tours. There's you know the Challenge Tour in Europe. There's the Corn Ferry. There's all these different options, and there's a lot more money in it now with endorsement deals and and sponsorships, right. you know, trying to make it at, at in you know nineteen. I guess you probably would have turned pro. At, I mean, if you stayed the uh, entire problem, yeah, sixty seven, sixty eight. I mean, something uh, like that. Yeah, I would have left school. Yeah, I wouldn't have continued. So I'd have gone. I'd have turned pro probably sixty five. Okay. Um, there was no money. I mean, some people know this, but back then the pros really weren't. They weren't allowed in the clubhouses. I mean, a, a golf pro. It wasn't wasn't the highest um, position for folks, uh, so it was tough. I mean, they changed the shoes in the parking lot back then, uh, many many times, and uh, quite different today. So. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of struggling here because there are so many things I can focus on and talk to you about, but I'd like to talk about Walker Cup. But before I do that, let me just at least throw this out there so that listeners can understand. Listeners can have a little bit of an understanding of your accomplishments in your amateur career. Back-to-back U.S. amateur champions in 82-83. Won the U.S. mid-am in 83. Won in 85 and 87. That's just USGA stuff. There is Sonny Hanna wins, Northeast amateur wins. So uh, I know that talking about your individual accomplishments is not exactly what you'd like to do, and I'd like to talk about more of the team stuff, which I know you're incredibly proud of with the Walker Cup. So. Great. So that's so I'm going to give you a pass on that, but you never know. We may have to revisit that someday down the line. But but let's talk. But let's talk about Walker Cup. 
Um, as I said earlier in the introduction, this is something that you were a part of. I mean, a record nine U.S. team appearances. No one has uh, has done that. Highest point winner. But, uh, you know, your first appearance in the Walker Cup was, was in 1977. Your last appearance was in 93 at Interlochen. But 77, you, you, you're on the U.S. team. It's at Shinnecock. I asked this. To, I asked it to a lot of the guys that are trying to make the team this year. When did Walker Cup first get on your radar? Because again, this is not you're not in college anymore, so you're about ten years out of school. Right. Well, after after my heartbreak of my hand injury, and uh, it took me a while to get going, and that was my goal. I mean, I I, I never never dreamed that I could win the U S amateur. So I, I finally, finally made the Walker cup. Um, I played well in the majors, you know, the Northeast and the son of Hannah and the Porter cup. Yeah. But, uh, not till 77. And that was quite an experience. One I'll never, ever, ever forget. So you play this, you play Shinnecock, you're there. And I guess, yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, you're there. It's your first time there. And you're going against guys. I mean, Sandy Lyles on the GB&I team, right? I guess. What, now, yeah. When you first get there, what what is the experience? And and it was incredible. We uh, drove Long Island, my wife and I, and arrived and uh, on schedule. Uh, shivers uh, already, clamminess, um, nerves. Uh, so excited and. Um, the practice, you know, I had to calm down and practice because everybody's looking at everybody else. And uh, if that was, I had re reached my goal, uh, which I had, um, you know, you needed to perform well, um, never thinking that you'd be invited back. So it was, it was so exciting. I can tell you the flag raising um, was beyond belief. Tears in my eyes and um, unreal. So getting ready to play, uh, I was paired with Mike Brennan, who uh, passed away several years ago. Great guy. Literally, Ben, we did not decide who was going to hit first <laughs> until we got to the team markers. I would say it was within one minute. I had my hands on my clubs. He had his hand on his clubs. Nope. Now, <laughs> Mike Brannon hits us as straight as anyone. I'm not too far behind him, but I was so glad. He says, I'll hit. I'll let me hit. So he hits a perfect drive. Said, oh, my goodness. So floated down that first fairway sure. to the ball. 145 yards to the pin. A little bit downwind. I said, well, this is this, this is some kind of a wedge. Well, that would be a long wedge for me. Get a pitching wedge. Pretty good shot. 20 yards over the green. Of course. Yeah, I knew exactly where you're going with that because you're just, yeah, uh -huh. just jacked so, up on all this adrenaline. But Mike was a great partner, and, and we won, and it was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Indescribable. Yeah. Now, your your first one, obviously, is in the United States, and, and I'm, I'm going to hit on a couple of the other. I'm not going to hit on every single team you played on, but I, I do find it kind of funny that you're playing in 77, huge margin of victory uh, in 77, and I guess one of the persons that uh, was on the GB&I team was, was Sandy Lyle, and then you meet uh, 10 years later where yep. he wins the Masters, and you're the low am. I mean, did you have a little bit of conversation there where you're looking at him, he's looking at you, saying, I just saw you a decade ago, and... Here's how our lives went in different directions. Absolutely. And uh, many times. I, I still can see him hitting that seven iron out of the bunker. Yeah. At eight. Uh, I was, I believe, waiting for him in the uh, uh, cabin for the awards. And uh, we have, I've reminded him of that many, many times. Sandy's a wonderful guy. And, of course, we played uh, senior tour golf together. And, uh it was uh, it was pretty cool. So you were um, the last. So you're you're the last U.S. captain to actually a couple things. So you're the last U.S. captain to be at Hoy Lake in 1983. You were the captain of that team. You're also the captain of the team in 1985 at Pine Valley, mm -hmm. and you're also the last playing captain 
in U.S. history. So we've not had a playing captain since you in 85. You know, you never had the opportunity as a captain to ride around the course and kind of follow guys and get a sense of how they're playing and if they're in form. And boy, we, I think everyone that's a golf fan loves to kind of be a armchair quarterback and talk about the Ryder Cup and the Presence Cup and who should be on the team and who shouldn't and how do they make the pairings. What was your experience as a captain being a playing captain? For the most part, back then, the, the, the playing captain it didn't participate in the selection process. Okay. But we kind of, uh, the captain, or at least I was told who was being considered, but the players I played with all year, played for the last two years together, competed against, uh, saw them at their best, saw them at their worst, so that when we got together and I was their captain, I think my job was to to pick them up when they were a little bit nervous. Uh, sure. Really focus on their confidence. Uh, remind them that they deserved the spot, that they earned the spot, that my focus was for them to play maybe three times. So uh, just because you're, you're not playing your best, I still want you to play what you earned. And um, the the enjoyment is certainly part of the whole deal. Uh, winning is not everything. Uh, however, I wanted to win more than anybody. So um, that that and then we decided on who who on the team would play four right. more times. And um, interestingly, they they picked me a few times uh, to do that, which uh, which was an honor. So to be picked as playing captain is is one of the highest honors i think the usga can give someone uh along with the bob jones award so it, it was just uh man that was just great times great time one of the things i wanted to ask you you know one of the things that's talked a lot about when the u.s goes over to the uk uh you know when when the gbni team is the host and just like it is this year at hoylake you know you've played at hoylake a lot of a lot of discussions probably about you know can the U.S. guys that are used to playing you know a, a largely a game in the air and a lot of um, you know you know target golf can they acclimate their games to links golf? Is there too much made of that, or is there a a large home course advantage that the U.K. team has? I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are and maybe how you advised your players in '83 or how you advised you know the guys on your team in like. Uh, you know, when you went over to Sunningdale and when you, uh, you know, were over at Port Marinex. So I'm just curious, like, what what's your thought on the Americans going over to, to the U.K.? Great question. Our guys were experienced. I mean, we had guys from Texas, California, all over the place. And since the U.S. is so huge, guys would play all year many times. Uh, even the Even the established amateurs, they were all over and all kinds of weather, all kinds of conditions, different kinds of grass. I didn't think that that would be a problem. I was quite confident on our team until I walked on the hoy like the first time. I mean, it was, it's, I would say nothing like we had seen before. Um, <clears throat> flat, treeless, narrow fairways, out of bounds, wind was blowing, raining. They had, uh, I don't know what, probably dunes and i think they may have small dunes or knobs or or, or banks whatever you want to call it <clears throat> those um i think were installed uh, back during the war to avoid the enemy from from landing their aircraft on that uh, expanse of ground so okay. yeah it was it was uh i don't think anything like we'd ever seen before at least it wasn't for me, given when you add the weather. You had amazing players on that team, you know, uh, you know, names like, you know, Willie Wood and, and Faxon, who've gone on to the PGA Tour. And then, you know, we had Jim Holtgreave on an episode previously. He was one of your players, just like Bobby Lewis. And then, you know, then you got the kid uh, who is now this year's captain, Nathaniel Crosby. Just, you know, his victory at, uh, at Olympic uh, in the U.S. Amateur, just, you know, probably one of the you know, got to be up there as one of the most memorable uh, U.S. Amateur victories of all time. Yes. I'm just curious, you get him over there on your side. Uh, what are your what are your memories about being his captain over there in Hoylake? Well, you know, it, it's a, 
brings up an interesting story. Um, as we were going along, he and his partner sort of weren't playing very well, and they they volunteered themselves to sit out. Okay, that doesn't happen always, and I I, I give them credit for that, and um, that that takes that takes a lot of guts to do that. Uh, uh, obviously. They wanted the team to win, and they didn't think that they could perform as well. So <clears throat> rather than possibly losing two points, I asked if they wouldn't play in the in the foursomes in the morning. And uh, they said they would like that, and that's what they did. So put them out. They won the, they won the match against the other team's best team. And um, what are you going to say other than – that was pretty cool. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it's, I give them credit for, for, uh, for doing that. And that one is the match. I mean, that match was so close, so close. Uh, most of the matches went to the, to the last hole and, uh, a, a shot here or there would have switched the, the, uh, the, the, the victory. And you're talking about the, uh, the match against McGregor and Walton, right? Yes. Okay precisely yeah philip 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 was their best player yeah philip walton yeah and, and george had the most experience so i mean between talent and experience uh, that's a tough tough go I, you know i'm just looking at the list of guys that have come through the walker cup between your time there 77 and 93 and i yep. mean names like you know you, davis love the third was on your team in 85 at pine valley and then you have Mickels, yes. mickelson and you know, Sutton and Pavin were on the team in 81. A lot of these guys have gone on to be captains. You know, like I said, you know, uh, Crosby's going to be the captain of this year's team. You know, Davis was a Ryder Cup captain. So was Sutton and Pavin. I know it's such a tight network, but have any of your former players reached out to you to discuss uh, their their thinking going into captaining their teams? No, they haven't. And <clears throat> there's a reason for that. The uh, USGA asked uh, the captains to give a report, detailed report of of everything, really. Okay. Thing that occurred, the, the housing, the food, the golf course, the setup, and so this, that, and the other thing. And uh, we, after seeing previous reports, we knew we knew uh, what to cover in our reports. And uh, in fact, I was talking to to Jim Holcreve the other day when we were at a, a Walker cup reunion. And, and, um, I said something about how unfortunate it was. We had this incident, um, that got corrected, which I can't really talk about. He said, Oh yeah. The one about, the, I said, that's right. How do you know? He said, you remember the reports? I said, Oh yes. Yes. I had. So I had to put that in there. And of course this report, the, the, the report, of Hoylake showed this, the experience, the wonderful experience with, um, uh, the two guys I was just talking about Hoffer and, right, yeah. uh, uh, Walton. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Hoffer and, uh, uh, Crosby. So this is basically a, a, almost like a captain's journal of the Walker cup. Correct. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. It would, it would be interesting to see it. Oh, of course. Of course. You, uh, you, you mentioned that, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people know that, you know, Jack Nicholas suggested that Europe be included in the Ryder Cup uh, because it just seemed to be getting out of hand with the U.S. dominating that so much. And I think it can be argued that's one of the most significant moments in Ryder Cup history. Just, you know, Mr. Nicholas suggesting, hey, uh, we need to make this more competitive. You mentioned that winning is not the most important thing. Uh, right. What is something that you feel should be or could be done to boost the Walker cup into more of a prominent, uh, uh light in the, well, kind of the modern, know, the modern view of golf right now. Great, great question. Uh, when I look back at Hoy Lake, the record at that time was us 26, 26 victories out of 29 matches. Yeah. So as we, as we, advanced from there we won pine valley so 27 uh and three and then things started to change a little bit and uh i think that was caused by i mean the the uh other team started winning the 
the college program was recruiting these fine players from uh, Great Britain and Ireland and um, and Scotland. And, and uh, they were going to, I mean, Colin Montgomery went to Sam Houston State or something. Um, and so guys were coming to the U.S. And we've got Florida State, Florida, and they were uh, improving their games uh, with better weather situations and better course conditions and then coming back to the Walker Cup and giving us a hard time. So um, we were oftentimes playing against scholarship kids on the other team, and we had uh, three, four older amateurs like myself. So things were starting to even out, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so you're you're seeing guys that maybe previously, the GB&I guys, you didn't know who they were, and now you're seeing GB&I guys that go to college in the United States where – yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're Absolutely. so they're not really at a disadvantage playing in the United States because they've been doing it all all year long in college. You got it. You got it. I can. I was told uh, when we when we didn't win at Peachtree, which was extremely painful for me. You noticed I didn't uh, bring that up yet, right? Yeah, I, I know it. I, <laughs> I thought I'd beat. I thought I'd beat you to it. Uh, it was extremely painful, uh, and I was told two things that glad that. Jay Sigel was in that position because he'll be able to handle it. Well, I didn't think I could. And secondly, this is very good for the matches, you know, going forward. So it, it, it gives encouragement to the other team, which I understood, but I didn't like to be part of the losing. It's kind of interesting. That happens right around the time that Europe beats uh, the United States at Muirfield. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like you're saying the exact same thing that Jack Nicholas said when he was captaining that team. It was, it was, it was, and I agree with it. It was good for the the matches and the, and the history going forward. Because I think there were, I think there was some danger. I mean, obviously the record there at 30 and uh, three yeah. wasn't, you know, wasn't very good. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you a little, let's shift gears a little bit away from your, your one single team loss in, in the Walker Cup team. I mean, you went eight and one. Uh, let me ask you, you know, you played in 11 Masters. Uh, a couple of them you were, you were exempt uh, or you were invited to play the Masters because of your, your U.S. amateur win and your, your U.S. mid-amateur win. But most of them were because of your participation in the Eisenhower Trophy and the Walker Cup team. Right. Um, you were there for some of the greatest masters. I mean, you're there for Crenshaw in 84. You're there for obviously, uh, you know, Mr. Nicholas in 86. Uh, I could just probably, we could fill up a whole episode of master stories, but you also attended a bunch of the amateur dinners Any yep. spe- specific amateur dinners or interactions that you've had uh, over your 11 appearances. You're low amateur, I believe three times. I think Nicholas's victory in 86 at his age, 46, with Jackie on the bag, who, I mean, it was fabulous. That was, to me, one of the great sporting events of all time. Perhaps the U.S. hockey team winning the Olympics was the other one. Yeah. But that that was, the, and, I, and I certainly sent him a note, and just, just unbelievable. The Masters um, uh, dinners were fabulous. We were told that. Bobby Jones wanted the master, wanted the amateurs to attend and play and do well and so on and so forth. So that was cool. But I think the things that stand out <clears throat> in my mind were, and I want to talk about Sam playing with Sam Snead. But oh, please do. First of all, the amateur was paired with a master's champion first round. Yeah. Unless the, the amateur was an amateur winner. Then he was paired with the open winner. Um, and then, um, same thing would hold for the British open, the open. Um, so the amateur got to play with some wonderful players. It seemed to me that I, I got to play with Seve and Tom Watson all the time. And <laughs> that, that was great. I've never seen better hands on any golfer than those two guys. I mean, Seve could he could get it up and down out of whatever. And Watson was the same and, and, uh, nice guys too. But the Sneed, the Sneed story is one of my all time greatest. Uh, I would say this was 
87, 86. We're on the tee, and the spring at, at Augusta, April, can be cool, rainy, windy. You, you wouldn't probably go out of your home in that kind of weather. Uh, so here we are on the first tee. Uh, I had pretty much all the clothing I could have on, plus a rain suit, umbrella, okay. and all that stuff. As Sam did, he said, Jay, he said, I don't know why I'm, I'm doing this. This is my last round at Augusta. He said, I can't see out of my one eye at all. And I mean, I just can't play and I'm freezing. I said, well, I'm freezing too, Sam. Now I think he was 76 or seven. Then I don't know. And I was uh, in 86. I don't know. I was 40, 42, three, four. Anyway, long story short, he hit every shot on the button, every shot. He putted side saddle. I'm guessing he shot 83 or four. I, Played my heart out for 78 or somewhere in that area. Don't don't hold me to that. But it was quite an experience to see that at, at his age, walking around the golf course. What an athlete he was. That's incredible for him to be able to do that at that age. Um, I'll say. Yeah, yeah. I still can't get over just the, the fact that you pl- you go into these Walker Cup experiences with, with nine other guys on your team. And you mentioned you guys have your Walker Cup reunions, and but to be able to play on the Walker Cup team, and then you, as a team, all get together again at Augusta National, right? As another reunion, uh, yeah. I mean, it was kind of sad to see that go away, where where the uh, where the Masters yes. no longer invites the, the the team there. I think that yes. probably ended around like ninety or ninety one, um, right? Somewhere in that neighborhood. And what's interesting is one of your Walker Cup teammates is uh, now the chairman at Augusta National. Right. So yeah. have has a I know I've talked briefly about this with uh, with with Holtgrieve. Is uh is that a conversation that you've ever had with him where you've said, "Hey, uh can we get the boys back into Augusta National?" Um I think we're smart enough to not ask that question. I mean, <laughs> okay. we 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 were told by Ward Harden that Bobby Jones always wanted the amateur a walker cup team there well that changed and the, and the statement was that there are too many people too many players in the field uh, quite frankly the field hasn't changed its size since then so at, that's unfortunate for for real um the other thing that's kind of kind of strange a walker cup or a u.s amateur champion um always is invited to the amateur, uh, to the Augusta to participate in the par three, attend, get tickets, so on and so forth. Yeah. Unless you turn pro. So I was, I was able to do that up until the point I turned pro and that, that is no longer uh, available, which is unfortunate. Um, times do change and that's, you know, that's, that's okay. I think Fred, Fred has done a wonderful job. He was a great, he was a great captain. Uh, we had some funny stories. In fact, I can I can think of a couple. Uh, if you if you're Absolute, willing, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, we were at Sunning Sunningdale. A great thing uh, is that you know our matches, while they're competitive, were very friendly. And I was playing a guy named Bobby Ego Ego, and uh, we started down the first hole, and I I hit. Um, bar five, I hit a wonderful hooking four iron in there about 10 feet. I was so proud of myself. And I see this, this fella hit from about the same spot and he, he's hit it in over the bunker. And I said, well, that's dead. He'll long story short, it went in the hole. So he made it, he made it too. And as we get to the green, he said, yours is good. Take your, take your Eagle. So it, it was, you know, all in good fun, but certainly competitive. And at the same time, these, these matches in Great Britain, Ireland, <clears throat> Scotland are on BBC all day, all day. And when you get down to one or two matches, the poor announcers, I'm sure they're looking for material to talk about. Well, so happened that Peter Alice, who I thought was a fabulous announcer, he's, He's covering the last couple of matches, which one, I was one of them. So he goes along, I don't know what hole it was, and he said, you know, <clears throat> Jay Sigel, 
career amateur, this, that, and the other thing, six foot one. You know, he's got the biggest feet of anybody his size I've ever seen. He's got the biggest hands as far as, as far as I've ever seen for, for a man his size. He said, as far as his other accoutrements are concerned, he says, I don't really know. <laughs> oh, God. Well, yeah. that, that does sound like something that Peter Alice would say. Yeah. So that evening we were seeing a replay and the guys were hooting and hollering about me. And uh, they thought that was pretty funny. That so, was, that, yeah, that, that was, that, that, that helps to get that kind of publicity, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> talk, we talk about um, Bobby Lewis and Jim Holcrief. That, those two guys were heart and soul of our teams. When you watch them compete, I mean, they, they let it all hang out. Uh, their eyes were bulging. Their, their uh, vessels were popping. Uh, they were going to give it 120%, not 110. And it was just nice to be, be part of a team that they were on. Not that we didn't have others like that. Right. But that was just terrific. Another story, if you wish. Go um, ahead. Yeah, the the um, I, I was as my game improved in the seventies, and I was winning stroke play tournaments. I didn't really, I didn't really fully appreciate match play. I mean, because the better player can be down the road just as quick as quick as anything, snap of a finger. And um, Peter McAvoy was one of the great great players for the great Britain team. And, and, uh, he took me aside one time. He says, you know, you've got to change your attitude about match play. So here's a competitor. Uh, we played against each other in the British amateur, uh, Walker cup. Uh, so you got to change your attitude. It's more difficult at match play than it is stroke play. You've got to perform in the mo- in the present, in the moment and get it done. There are four or five critical times during the match. And the more I thought about it, he was right. And uh, I changed my attitude. <clears throat> Look what it did to my match play. Pretty, pretty uh, interesting. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, your, your match play record, and like I said, you know, earlier in this episode, I mean, most USA victories, most times competed for the USA, most USA points won, and most matches played. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. I want I want I want to ask you about just one match, and then I'd like to close with just you know I I think people listening realize that you're one of the greatest amateurs of all time, and I I'd like to ask a couple of questions about just being a regular golfer. So sure. Before sure. I, before I hop into that though, please please, and I know you've done it before, but please share the share the story of your singles match in '85 against uh, Mr. Uh, Colin Montgomery. Oh jeez. How'd you come to ask that one? I mean, that, I mean a, well, the thing that I find, find so fascinating about, first of all, 85, is that, you know, it's at Pine Valley. You're you're a member at Pine Valley. You're the playing captain of the U.S. team at one of your home courses. And here comes the GB&I team, and you're going against Colin Montgomery. And we all know what he has done in his career. It's actually funny. His Ryder Cup record is kind of a mirror to your walker cup record yeah interesting i didn't know that i didn't know uh anything about colin at the time but <clears throat> i knew he was a hot shot their hot shot golfer and um he told his team that he hoped to get paired against the old guy meaning me <laughs> well how that happened i have no idea it, you know it's the u.s the home team no, the away team puts their team down, and the home team puts puts their players where they want them. Yeah, they counter. Yeah, so um, I, I don't I don't recall my involvement in that, but that's what happened. Match play. <laughs> so out we go. <clears throat> I knew he was good, and I had a caddy there who uh, named Elmer at Pine Valley who helped me win. A uh, number of events there and helped helped in my walker cup uh, quest in any event uh the pins were like i'd never seen before i mean pine valleys can be a pretty tough golf course particularly if you've got speed on the greens and the pins tuck so i happen to have a great day tee to green remembering that montgomery wanted to beat the old guy 
Mm-hmm. Uh, he was going to, he was going to slaughter him. So long story short, uh, I, I played some of the best golf I've ever played, almost a perfect round of golf given the, where the pins were. And he, he lost six and four to my six under par. And, um, little did I know that he'd requested this, but at the party after the, uh, after the event, he told me about it. And we had a few beers over that story and laughs and, uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's great. And then, uh, I'm sure you've been able to bump into him from time to time. So that's a nice little, oh. yeah. Oh, we, we, we joke about it. He also asked me another thing. He said back, he, he, he wanted to know if I thought he should stay amateur. I mean, he was quite a, quite a fine player. Uh, or he had a chance to sell golf equipment and turn pro. I said, you know, thinking of it at the time, he was a little, well, he's like he is today. He was a little soft, had a caddy swing, uh, but produced fabulous results. So I said, you ought to stay amateur, sell golf equipment, so on and so forth. Well, between those two stories, we've had some hoots over the years. <laughs> he said, boy, you're a hell of a judge of of talent. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's gone on to quite the career. Um well, I think we could probably go on for hours, but I I want to kind of wrap up with just a couple random thoughts and random questions and they're not really related to USGA or Walker Cup or anything, but I'm just curious. Um you've traveled all over the world playing golf at these just phenomenal courses and tournaments and all these great experiences that that most of us will never ever get the chance to do but you know you're just like the rest of us you're a golfer and at some point you got to put your clubs in a bag and put them on an airline in your many years of competition have you ever had any close calls with with your sticks not showing up absolutely Muirfield, uh 79 walker cup oh god <laughs> i didn't, didn't oh no they didn't they didn't arrive for like four days so the day before the matches started, I mean, I played, <clears throat> I played out of Scott Hoke's bag. Now this is an amazing story, and uh, you know, played okay. And <clears throat> we had to do our practice. I had to practice with his club. Finally, my clubs arrived, and he and I ended up being partners. So we did. We won four points uh, that week. Little did I know that we would reach the finals of the British Amateur the next week. Uh, head head to head, thirty six holes. Unfortunately, I was able to uh, be victorious, but that was quite an experience. I I, I didn't much care for that. So. I can imagine. No clubs. No clubs. Seventy nine Walker Cup Muirfield. Yep. Ouch. Yep. Being a low handicapper myself, and I can't even believe I'm saying that to you, but I'm in the same somewhere in the same zip code, maybe. But um, I have experiences where maybe someone will say to me, "Oh, Ben, you know." You're you're a low handicapper, and I'm 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 not. You don't want to play with me. I I you know I'll just be in your way, and I'll I'll keep you up. What are your kind of casual games with your buddies? And not every, I'm sure that you not every single one of your buddies is a Walker Cupper. So like you know what what are some of the stories about maybe your casual games around the club that you're playing with guys that you know aren't named Lewis Holtgreve and and Giles? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a great question. I think that um, I want to disarm the general golfer that gets paired with me, um, make him feel as comfortable as possible. And, uh, you know, some stories, some jokes, um, casual, don't, you know, not, not, not a big deal. Enjoy, you know, just enjoy the weather, the flowers, the planting, whatever. In, in any way, way it's... I want them comfortable. And it's interesting, the information you find out. I mean, they're nervous because I'm a good golfer. Right. Do they ever think that I'm nervous because they've grown their company from 72 employees to 7,000? I'd like to find out how, how they did that. So, you know, it goes both ways. Uh, and, and I've gotten some wonderful conversation and met some very talented and fun people. But I would like to say this, that during my career, but from early 40s till till 50, when I turned pro, it was a group of guys that really kept me in the game during that period called the Usuals. Okay. The Usuals were a group at at Aronimink that 
the usual game would be the, the usual betting game. And then the unusual usual would be double the usual betting game. <laughs> that, that came about <clears throat> because several of the guys didn't wanted to have me as a partner and we couldn't decide who was who and what we were playing for till the first or second hole to see how I started. <clears throat> so I fixed them. We got it. We got it set. It's the usuals or the unusual usual, but seriously, I mean, they caught me speeding. I mean, I shot for a bunker on a par five instead of trying to get it on the green because I, I knew I was going to lose the hole, but I'd get more trash. If you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. If I, if I, if I got a Sandy birdie rather than just a birdie. So I cherished those, those games. We had a lot of laughs and, and I would win almost every time. Uh, it was cash. So I played extra hard and I would end up taking them out to pull them out to dinner with their wife. Nothing better than that. Um, I've talked to to younger amateurs and and even some junior players and, and professionals. And I always like asking a question, you know, we're all golfers. We all like gear. We all like stuff, you know, uh, a new driver, a, a head cover, you know, a fresh dozen golf balls. Do you remember the first U.S. national bag that you received, or or shirts, sure. or anything? I mean, because we're all sure. we're all the same. So I'm wondering, you know, what what was the first thing you received? Well, I have my first Walker Cup bag. It was cloth, small. <clears throat> I don't think it was waterproof. Um, and I have my first shirts. And hats. Um, those aren't going anywhere. Wow. Those aren't going anywhere. I'm, at, later on, as the bags got fancier and prettier, and um, I've, I've donated to various uh, clubs sure. that, that, have re- that have requested them. But <clears throat> that that was, I mean, it's it was quite quite funny. The, the team gear has substantially improved. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now they're all fashion models out there, aren't they? That's right. That's right. Well, exactly. well, we'll we'll wrap this up. I, I feel there's a lot left on the table. Hopefully, we can do it again. But I want to wrap it up. If if you had the opportunity uh, at Hoylake to pop your head into the U.S. team room and just say a couple words to the guys that are getting ready to represent their country, as someone that's done it more times than anyone in history, what are maybe a couple? things you might share with the, these young guys getting ready to go play at Hoylake. Have fun. And remember, your selection was earned. Don't ever forget that. Um, and, and play well. Simple as that. Jay, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been a thrill. Uh, I, I'm so glad you were able to spend some time talking about uh, your amateur career and obviously Walker Cup career. And I, I hope we can do it again sometime. Thanks for uh, thanks for stopping by the back of the range. Ben, my pleasure. You've, uh, you've got something pretty neat and i i wish you the best of luck and there you have it special thanks to the legend jay sigel for joining us this week here at the back of the range golf podcast don't forget follow us on facebook twitter and instagram all that information available at the back of the range.com and we'll see you next week here at the back of the range